L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Oh, hi. Hello. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. Coming to you from a whole new world where I have to go to work again, but still don't interact with any humans. Am I getting crazier for it? Possibly. I'm, of course, your host, Liv, and I am back with more of that crazy, ridiculous hero, in quotation marks, that is Theseus. What a guy. We wandered off to Crete last episode, but now we know all about the Marathonian bull, how we got to Marathon, and how and why there's now a minotaur in a labyrinth on Crete. So now we can dive back into the man that will, very soon, encounter both of those things. Where we last left Theseus, he was murdering a hell of a lot of alleged murderers on his way to Athens to meet up with his father for the first time. He has with him the old sandals and the sword, proof that he is indeed Aegeus' son. I think it's still up for debate whether these actions were heroic or just a man trying to convince the city he's en route to that he is indeed a hero. He wants it so bad. Growing up with Heracles as a cousin really fucked with him. That, and he's just generally pretty shitty. You know. Theseus arrives in Athens, but he doesn't tell Aegeus who he is. 
No, he arrives as the conquering hero, really just basking in the love he's received from the Athenian people when he tells them all the murderers that he killed en route. And the sow. Speaking of the sow. This is episode 80. This guy, am I right? Theseus continued. Guys, guys, a sow is a pig, not a cow. Why did I call it a cow? Great question. One, I'm not familiar with livestock. I mean, I am in the way that I'm an intelligent human, but when there's words that aren't simply cow and pig or boar, then apparently I get thrown. Not a great excuse. If that all sounds pretty flimsy, just wait, because two, we're in a goddamn pandemic and my brain is just not functioning at 100%. Again, none of that really excuses such a silly and kind of hilarious mistake, but here we are. So, today I'm here to tell you a little bit more about the Chromionian sow, which is a pig and not a cow. Well, it's a boar, really. But you know, that's a type of pig, right? After someone very nicely pointed out to me this hilarious and stupid mistake I made on the last Theseus episode, I did a little deeper digging into this Chromionian sow. And well, she's more interesting than I had originally thought. The sources I was reading on Theseus last episode just noted that this sow was fierce and therefore apparently deserving of being killed, but this didn't seem convincing. So today, I dove further into the sow's story and okay, she kind of deserved it. Much to the delight of Theseus, this was indeed a monstrous animal in the vein of all the monsters killed by Heracles himself. I stand by the note that most heroes didn't go out killing as many humans as Theseus did, but at least he did get himself a murderous animal so he could fit in just a little better. It turns out the Chromionian sow was, well, a boar from Chromion, but it was raised by a woman, an old crone, she's called, named Phia. I'm picturing one of the amazing fates from Disney's Hercules, you know, completely horrible looking, kind of falling apart, maybe holding her eye into its socket for effect. In any event, this woman, Fia, raised the sow to be murderous and really quite evil. It's even possible that it was the child of Typhon and Echidna, but then that's often attributed to monsters in order to make them seem more, well, monstrous. No matter her parentage, though, the sow was, we're told, eating people, and so perhaps it was valiant of Theseus to do away with it on his journey from Trozen to Athens. Heroic, you might even call it. It's also possible, according to Plutarch, that the sow wasn't a pig at all, but was actually the woman, Fia, herself. And it was a woman killing people in the area. A woman they called a sow because of her looks and mannerisms. Possibility that is quite rude. Calling a woman a sow to the extent that the story transforms her into a physical pig? Oof. Whether it was a murderous pig raised by Phia or Phia herself, Theseus arrives in Athens and tells the people there that he has rid the region of all those inexplicably murderous men prowling the roads between Trozen and Athens and the Chromionian sow, be she animal or human. So as I told you last week, Theseus is received in Athens with great fanfare. The people are thrilled that such a hero is in their midst, their immediate fans. And this fandom causes Aegeus, who has no idea this young man from Trozen is indeed his own son, to worry that the people of Athens will call for Theseus to lead their city, rather than Aegeus. Though, is it Aegeus who's worried about this? 
Or does the woman he's married in the interim, the new mother of a young son by Aegeus, who, perhaps, has a hand in Aegeus's concerns with regards to this new man in town? At this point in the story of Medea, she's portrayed as a straight-up evil witch who's traveled to Athens and, in essence, put Aegeus under her spell. She came from Corinth, where she had, as we all know, murdered her children. What we should actually think of Medea here is tricky, because of the interpretations and tellings of the stories that we have. Euripides saw Medea as real, if flawed, a woman with agency, worthy of empathy, but Euripides doesn't say anything about Medea after what happens in the play. From there, we have to work with the other sources that we have, and those sources were about telling Theseus's story, not Medea's. She is the antagonist. Theseus has been invited to a banquet at the palace, invited by Aegeus, who, spoilers, is intending to poison him for fear that he would take rulership of Athens away. Is this Aegeus's plan, or is it Medea's? Because according to the sources, Medea knows immediately who Theseus is. This is where the potential poisoning comes in. According to the sources, she knew this man was Aegeus's son, this hero from another land, and this worried her. She and Aegeus have just had a son of their own, Medus, who would be heir to the throne of Athens had Theseus not just shown up unexpectedly. We have to remember that in terms of the mythology of Athens, Medea is an outsider. She came from Corinth, she had just killed her children, where she was a foreigner too, from the east, full-blown non-Greek. And now here she is in Athens, thinking she has an heir to the throne in her young child. Athens would have seen her as the enemy. Theseus was their hero, and Medea was a threat to Theseus. Therefore, she was the problem, and it was certainly she who wanted to poison Theseus upon his arrival in the city. It's almost impossible to interpret much other than that, simply because this was a myth revolving around Athens that they told as the story of their founding hero. He was the one they cared about. Based on how I've told the story of Medea recently, I want to believe there's more to it, or that Theseus deserved it, because he certainly deserved a lot, but who knows, really. So I'm going to tell the story as the Athenians knew it, and we'll just choose to believe that Medea had a good reason, or she was just enjoying herself, and that included wanting to poison Theseus. Theseus is invited to the palace for a feast, and it's said that Medea convinced Aegeus to poison him, putting it into his mind that Theseus was some kind of assassin. Oh, those wily women. The feast takes place, and with a cup of poisoned wine in his hand, Theseus pauses before taking a drink. He's finally ready to reveal himself to his father, quite conveniently before taking a sip of wine. How incredibly lucky for Theseus, because... When he pulls out the sword and the sandals as proof of his identity for his father, Aegeus realizes immediately who is before him and he hits the cup of wine from Theseus's hand. Poisoned wine splatters across the floor. Did he whip out his sword and his sandals to show Aegeus who he was? Seems it's possible that no, it could have been even showier than that. According to Plutarch, Theseus made a much more dramatic reveal. Not surprising, honestly. It's said that at the feast, the meat was brought out and Theseus decided he would honor his host by carving the meat with his fucking sword. So Theseus pulls out a full-blown sword to carve some roast beef or some shit, like a lunatic, but it served a purpose because Aegeus spotted the memorable sword. It had snakes of Erechtheus on it. And that's when he pushed the wine cup from Theseus's hand, saving him from the intended poisoning. 
Medea, in all her brilliant, if sometimes evil, self, realizes this place, Athens, is no longer working for her, and she is out of there. She knows when it's time to give up. And who cares about Aegeus anyway? Really, she'd just gone to him for purification and a place to live after, you know, wearing out her welcome in Corinth. It was time to move on. So before anything could be done about the attempted poisoning of Theseus, Medea is gone. She ends up settling somewhere in Asia, according to Edith Hamilton. I bet she lived a nice, non-dramatic life back in her homeland. Greece hadn't done her any favors anyway. Back in Athens, father and son are reunited and it feels so good. Oh, what a thrill. Who cares that Medea is gone? Aegeus finally has a son and a good one. I mean, according to Aegeus's terms, not according to mine. There is an epic celebration in honor of this returned hero. Theseus was already such an exciting hero when he arrived in Athens, having done away with all those pesky people en route, which, by the way, I found more of, but I won't try to rehash that madness. The point is he killed everybody. The people of Athens already loved him. They're already thrilled that this hero has arrived in their city, and maybe he'd be their hero. But now, now it's even better. He is a true hero of Athens, a son of Athens. He's Theseus, goddammit. LASIKLASIK.com Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Meanwhile, remember the earlier drama with the Gias' brothers and nephews? Yeah, that's not finished. In fact, it's only gotten more dramatic with the return of Theseus. Aegeus's brother, Pallas, has kept his hopes up that he or one of his sons would get to be king once Aegeus died, since Aegeus has been childless. But with the arrival of Theseus, those hopes have been dashed. Not only that, suddenly there's this man who's not even from Athens, he's from Trozen, and he thinks he can just show up here as the son of Aegeus and become the heir to the throne of Athens? I don't think so. No. Pallas and his 50 sons. Yeah, you heard that right. 50. They aren't willing to accept this new heir to the throne. They decide to take it upon themselves to get Theseus and Aegeus the fuck out of Athens. They're fed up and they want at least one of them to be king. And with 50 sons behind him, this family is a much more formidable foe. I mean, there are so many of them, it's basically an army. In the end, it doesn't matter though. <laughs> the 50 split up, half of them make to attack on the city with the other half lying in wait. It seems like it would be really promising for them. But there's one person who betrays Pallas and his sons and tells Theseus what's in store. The man is named Leos, and he tells Theseus about the group on their way to attack him and the other group that are waiting for the attack. And so before anything can happen, Theseus manages to somehow attack both groups and kill everyone. With every story about this man, I'm more convinced that he just told all these tales himself to make his heroism sound more impressive. I mean, really, that, that kind of feat sounds like a stretch even for someone like Heracles, let alone a hero who hasn't faced anything except for a few bandits and a sow that's definitely a pig and not a cow. But regardless of how likely or unlikely this is, this is the story we have. And so we must, to an extent, believe that, yes, Theseus is fully capable of killing 50 men in two different groups all by himself. Oh, Theseus. That's that then. Pallas and his sons are no longer a threat. Aegeus and Theseus, now reunited father and son, can live happily ever after in Athens. Theseus will become king when Aegeus dies and everything will be great and Theseus won't have any more chances to fuck with people or ruin their lives or kill people for no reason or generally be his awful self. All will be well. All nice, bright, and shiny. Ha, ha, ha. Having done away with the threat of his uncles and his cousins, <laughs> to Theseus' newfound drive to not only be Athens' official hero, but the heir to its kingdom entirely, Theseus has more courting of the Athenian people to get to. He needs to prove himself even more than he already has. Which leads us to that Marathonian bull. Last week I told you about that menacing bull, the one that was sent by Poseidon to Minos, king of Knossos on Crete, to be sacrificed under quite specific instructions that Minos obviously ignored. This, you well know, but I always want to repeat it, results in poor Pasiphae being forced to fall in love with a bull and use the incredible, if horrifying, skills of the inventor Daedalus to utilize a troublingly ingenious contraption to be impregnated by Poseidon's bull. 
Their child is Asterios, the infamous Minotaur, tucked neatly away inside Daedalus's labyrinth. Meanwhile, the bull himself was affected by this act, becoming a violent monster that first terrorized the people of Crete as the Cretan bull, before being defeated and removed by Heracles, brought to the Greek mainland where he was released humanely, and eventually ended up in Marathon, where he began terrorizing those people too, as the Marathonian bull. Now, Marathon is, quite infamously, 42 kilometers away from Athens, so it's close enough that this bull is having quite an effect on the people of Athens in addition to those in Marathon. So it's the perfect opportunity for old Theseus to come to the rescue. And not only can he, in defeating the Marathonian bull, achieve a standard hero achievement of ridding a region from a beast causing major destruction, but he would be killing the very same bull that was originally defeated by his heroic inspiration, Heracles. It is quite literally the perfect act for Theseus and his ever-growing ego. He can barely contain his excitement at the prospect of defeating this beast. I just know it. And just like that, Theseus defeats the Marathonian bull. What, you think there should be a story to it? So do I, but I've checked countless sources. The key, it seems, is its defeat. Robert Graves tosses in the descriptor of fire-breathing for the animal, but I haven't found that anywhere else, so grain of salt would certainly be impressive. But what we do know is that however it was eventually controlled by Theseus, he was able to parade the bull through the city of Athens, showing off his skills to the townspeople, quite deliberately. He drove it through the city and to the Acropolis, where he sacrificed it to Athena as the final cherry on top of his monumental A-plus heroic act. Or some say Theseus killed the beast before Medea ever fled the city, and that it was she who convinced Aegeus to send the then-stranger Theseus to kill the bull. She, of course, assumed it would kill him and he wouldn't cause the couple any further havoc. No matter how he does it, though, Theseus does indeed defeat the Marathonian bull, the Cretan bull, the Minotaur's father, the bull that killed Androgeos, Minos's and Pasiphae's own son, and the instigator for all the trouble Athens faces with Crete. Oh, how it all comes quite full circle. You know, I often wish I could bring myself to like Theseus. I do love the heroes, even though they always treated women like actual garbage, but Theseus... It's just too hard for me to look past that mega ego and obsession with killing lowly humans rather than defeating monsters and troublesome deities. But all the same, oh, I do love telling his story. Just know the disdain I feel for him is very much my own. You don't have to hate him. You can ignore my tone and snarky comments. And without those, this really is just his hero story. And of course, it's only just the beginning. Because it's about this time that a delegation arrives from Crete. You remember when I told you about the deal struck with Athens, when they were surely going to be beaten and destroyed by Minos in the war, right? Of course you do. It all started when Androgeos was killed, trying to kill the Marathonian bull for Aegeus. Athens was roped into agreeing to provide, every nine years, seven young men and seven young women, all to be shipped off to Crete, Knossos to be specific, and fed to the Minotaur in the labyrinth. Well, 
It seems it's been exactly nine years since the Minotaur was last fed. Asterios, Pasiphae and the Marathonian bull's monstrous and horrible son, locked away in the depths of Daedalus's labyrinth on Crete, is hungry as hell and it's about time the Athenians sent something for him to eat. Some say that the Athenian youths destined to die in the labyrinth at the hands of the Minotaur of Crete were decided by lot, simply at random, or alternatively that Minos himself travelled to Athens to choose the unlucky seven boys and seven girls to be brought to Crete. However it was decided, Theseus, in all his heroism, manages to get himself included in the group. Certain that he could put a stop to any future instances of this, that he alone could finally kill the Minotaur and save the Athenians from this fate. Hero though he may be, Theseus' father, Aegeus, has only just gotten to know his son. Theseus has barely been in Athens, let alone as its official heir, for any time at all, before he plans to leave, possibly forever, bound for Crete. This isn't Theseus' concern, though. He wants to be a hero, the greatest and best hero. He simply must continue to prove himself no matter how many lives he ruins. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Theseus prepares to accompany six boys and seven girls on the ship bound for Knossos on Crete. Aegeus, though, has one simple request for his son, an important one, for the sake of his own fears of Theseus' fate on this journey. Theseus, Aegeus pleads with his son and only heir, promise me that should you manage to defeat the Minotaur as you plan, you will change the sails on the ship as you return home to Athens. You'll leave here with black sails in reverence for the impending deaths of the youths on board the ship. But should you succeed in killing the Minotaur in the labyrinth, change the sails to those of white. That way, as I watch the seas, desperate for your return, I'll know well in advance whether or not you're alive on board the ship. Aegeus asks this of his only son, and Theseus agrees though one wonders whether he was really paying attention at all to his father's emotional plea, or if he was too busy planning his own heroic return to Athens, having killed the infamous half-bull, half-man. Aegeus, the poor man, is so very afraid of what will happen to his son. Does he love him, or is he so incredibly grateful that he finally has an heir that will continue to rule Athens in his name once he dies? Who knows, really? What matters is Aegeus doesn't want to be put in the position where he's standing on the cliffs, awaiting Theseus's return, and sees the ship in the distance, but is forced to wait, whoever knows how long, while the ship gets closer and closer, and finally the men disembark, and only then would he know whether Theseus is alive or dead. No, that would be horrible. Imagine the stress, the anxiety of waiting for an ancient ship. No motor, you know. Takes its sweet-ass time just puttering into Piraeus, having no idea whether your son is on the ship, alive, on board, or if he died a bloody death in the labyrinth. Okay, I'm really playing it up, I know. In any event, Theseus, before he leaves on the black-sailed ship bound for Crete, promises his father, that he will change the sails on the ship to white, should he defeat the Minotaur and be safely returning to Athens, alive and well. He promises. Oh, nerds, 
Thank you all for listening to me once again tell you the honest story about Theseus while incessantly peppering in my own very strong opinions on the man. Oh, Theseus. In researching this man and last week's episode of The Bull and Crete, I've learned that there is another very important man in that world that I haven't covered in nearly enough detail. Plus, I get asked about him all the time because his name isn't even in an episode title. A real early mistake on my part, I must say. And so, to make up for that, and to give you all the dirty details on him and his equally famous, if not more so, son, next week, an episode dedicated entirely to Daedalus and Icarus, or, as Hercules' best friend in the Disney TV show calls him, Daedalus. That shows some good shit. Oh, man. There are so many more of you lately, and it's been a while since I mentioned, but if you like the show, not only should you go ahead and give me a five-star review so that more people can find me and I can quit my job now managing a soon-to-be-open clothing store during a damn pandemic, but you should also follow me on social media. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I'm always at MythsBaby. And on Instagram, I'm at nearly 20,000 followers, which is unreal and amazing, and I will do a special merch giveaway when I reach that. You're all the best. I'm so fortunate to have such lovely and badass listeners. Stay safe. Stay home if you can. Wash your hands. I'm Liv and I love this shit. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then 
Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.